Christ's comfort is abundant. On October 7th, 1893, Chicago Evening Post journalist and humorist Finley Peter Dunn introduced a fictional Irish bartender, Mr. Dooley, to his readers via his newspaper column. And uh, Mr. Dooley said all sorts of things. He was satirical, and he said all sorts of things about politics and uh, the media and the people. And in a subsequent 1902 book, Observations by Mr. Dooley, Dooley satirically said this, the newspaper does everything for us. It runs the police force and the banks, commands the militia, controls the legislature, baptizes the young, marries the foolish, comforts the afflicted, afflicts the comfortable, buries the dead, and roasts them afterwards. Now, someone borrowed that line, one of the lines, and said the goal of preaching is to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. And I just want you to know today that my aim is solely to comfort the afflicted. We are all afflicted, and the afflicted need to be comforted. We're all afflicted by the cumulative aggregate effects of sin upon our souls, and we become burdened and bothered. We become weary and worried and wondering. Our hearts begin to wander. We are distressed. We are downcast. You think about how things are going today. People are on edge. People are upset about coronavirus. People are saying whatever they want without even thinking about maybe how it affects other people. You've got public servants and politicians and professing Christians seemingly acting in their own personal interests. And instead of obeying the clear and authoritative word of God. And then you have all the things that were going on before COVID-19 hit. All the things that were happening. And then things that have happened. A very disturbing killing in Georgia that was on many of our minds. A notable pastor dying just on Friday of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And then you have everything that's on your mind right now today. Even as you're listening to this sermon, all the things that are swirling around in your mind like a swarm of bees. And so we all need comfort. Now, can we all just admit, though, that we look for comfort in the wrong places? That we've all messed up, that we've all stubbed our toes, we've all skinned our knees in some way during this time. We're all in need of comfort, maybe now more than ever. We're in need of renewal. We're in need of our hearts to be refreshed and our minds to be renewed. Kind of like when you get a sunburn, it needs to be soothed. <laughs> a frightened child needs their mom. The, the blues need relief. And you need to be cheered up. All-time number one example of human comfort is moms. God even uses the example. Isaiah 66, verse 13. As one whom his mother comforts, I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. That's a messianic passage of Scripture, pointing to the coming deliverer, coming, pointing to the coming of Jesus Christ, and God uses the example of a mother comforting her children. Moms are a fountain of comfort, are they not? Kids just run to moms. Kids flock to moms for protection, for understanding, for help. Kids just cry out for mom. And God has wired moms very uniquely to hear the cry of their child. And their heart goes out to their children no matter what age. I think you could call moms comfort machines. They're just comfort machines. And here's the interesting thing. 
For moms, Children's Day comes 365 days a year. And moms deserve far more praise and gratitude than they receive. Moms are comforters. We all need comfort. All people everywhere needs comfort. And what happens is we, we do look in the wrong place for our comfort. We go to what we think will remove the pain or dull it. And it's human to want comfort. And so what we do is we go looking for comfort. It's kind of like that children's book, Are You My Mother? I remember reading that when I was a kid, Are You My Mother? And this bird you know, falls out of the nest and it goes around looking for its mother. And it looks everywhere and looks in the wrong places. You know, at one point thinks a tractor is its mom, you know. We look for comfort in all the wrong places. We try to fill this void in our lives. And we try to fill that void with people or with food or with alcohol or with drugs or some other kind of substance. And we're trying anything and everything, aren't we? We even try destructive, harmful things that hurt us. What happens is the thing that you go for comfort backfires on you. You're left more hurting than you were before. And so we really need this passage of Scripture today that we're in, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We really need this because it speaks of Christ's abundant comfort. And it tells us that believers are comforted in Christ very much, overflowing abundantly. Now, the human situation is eerily similar across centuries and continents. Paul was writing to people who needed the truth and they needed their hearts recalibrated to objectivity because they were hounded by subjectivity. In fact, they were hounding Paul with subjectivity. Paul is defending himself amid false accusations. It's people were jumping to conclusions about him, acting like they knew everything, kind of like right now, kind of like this moment we're in right now. Everyone's an expert, but God knows the heart. And, and the results, they just tell on us. Our, our, the results of us looking for comfort tell on us. They tattle. We have the opposite of comfort. Many of you are angry. Many of you are like stirred up and always agitated. Many of you are grieving. Many of you are frustrated. And you're disquieted. You're, you're in, a, in a constant state of discomfort. So we need this passage today. We're all afflicted, We're, we all need comfort, and we look in the wrong places. And you know, I'm sure you know this, but crisis reveals where you find comfort, where you go to find comfort. I think in this crisis time, people become more of what they really are, either obnoxious or absolutely loving. See, burdened, needy hearts need comfort. And when I say comfort, don't get me wrong, I know a lot of you are in a comfortable chair right now. A lot of you are, I don't think you're standing on a bed of nails right now. I think you are probably in a comfortable chair in your home. And when I say comfort, and when the Bible speaks of comfort here, it's not a comfortable life. It's not everything feeling good. It's not ease and softness. It's being consoled in affliction. And I'm here to tell you today, 
exactly what this passage is telling us, that true, lasting, abundant comfort is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Christ's abundant comfort makes ministry merciful. You want to serve Christ, Christian? Well, Christ's abundant comfort makes your ministry merciful. It makes your serving satisfying. It makes you love life. Christ's abundant comfort makes you love life. So here's what you need to know through this passage. There's really three truths that are being brought out here. And first is just the absolute fact of Christ's abundant comfort, that true comfort is found in Christ. And then we'll move on to the purpose of Christ's abundant comfort, and it's that we are comforted to comfort others. So true comfort is found in Christ. That's the fact. And you are comforted in Christ to comfort others. That's the purpose. And the supply of Christ's abundant comfort, that his comfort is abundant. It is, that means it's overflowing. And so the fact of the matter is that true comfort is only found in Christ. And the purpose of that comfort for you is not just for you to feel good, but that, that you are comforted to comfort others. And then the, the supply of that comfort with which you can comfort others is very abundant. It doesn't run out. This is where we're going to go in this passage today. This is where this passage takes us. Let's look at that first idea, the, the fact of Christ's abundant comfort, that true comfort is found in Christ. As Augustine put it, thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until, it's, until it finds its rest in thee. This passage begins with the word blessed. Blessed, it's a Jewish description of praise to God that acknowledges him as the source of all blessing. So blessed, okay, so God is the source of all blessing and mercy and comfort. And it comes from him, it flows from him, it is applied by him. He is both the source and sustainer of blessing and mercy and comfort. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So here Paul is praising the one true God. Revealed in the Son, who is of the same essence with the Father. The anointed, would you notice, of our Lord Jesus Christ. The anointed one, Christ. The sovereign one, Lord. And the Redeemer, Jesus. So Jesus is the source and supply of all your comfort as a Christian. Far greater than all your discouragement. It, it far exceeds any loss that you will ever know or ever experience. He's also called the Father of Mercies. This idea is that he alleviates the misery that sin brings, that wrath is appeased by mercy. In, like like um, in Malachi, in wrath, remember mercy. Borrowed, by the way, from Jewish liturgical language and prayer, calling for God to treat sinful people with kindness, with, with love, with, with tenderness. He's the father of mercies, compassion. On those who are lamenting, on those who are sorrowful from the, because of the pitiful state of their sin, that their sin has put them in. It's this deep feeling of compassion and understanding. This is God. This is your God. Behold your God. Holy, holy, holy. Father of mercies. And God of all comfort. That, that word comfort is a very uh, Beautiful word, it means to encourage, it means to console, it's, it means to stand beside a person to encourage them when they're under severe testing. It, it's the idea of giving comfort when someone's under pressure. 
There's a lot of words in the Bible used for comfort. There's a, there's a paramathia, which means uh, speak closely to anyone, just come up close and speak to them with a great degree of tenderness. Uh, paragoria is addressing someone with uh, soothing solace. Uh, paracletos, you probably know that word, the calling to, along to one side. It, it's, it's a legal term used in a court uh, for legal counsel for the, of the defense. It's the advocate. It's the one who pleads the case. It's the intercessor. It's, it's what the word that's used in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. We have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. We've got parakaleo. It's a verb. It just means to be comforted. Um, sum parakaleo means to be comforted together with. That's believers being comforted together with one another in Christ. You've got this whole idea of soothing and control, uh, consoling and encouraging. It's like in John chapter 11, verse 31, when, when Jesus comforted Lazarus' sisters. But the word that's used here, which is related to all of these words, is paraclesis. And it's a noun that, it's, a, it's, a, it's the idea of consolation. It combines encouragement with alleviating the grief. So it's comfort, it's encouragement, it's exhortation. All these words are just beautiful words. And they're all in fulfillment of messianic hope. Because when he calls God the Father of mercies, he's pointing back to the Old Testament, the God of all comfort, pointing back to the Old Testament. The God of all comfort, by the way, that's an Old Testament description of God. That God is the ultimate source of every true act of comfort. In Isaiah 40, which I read at the very beginning of this service, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Isaiah 51, verse 3, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. You'll notice that God is not just saying, I'm just going to, you know, spray comfort all over the place. He's saying, in the deliverer, in the Messiah, he's going to make a desert like the garden of the Lord. The joy and gladness are going to be in the people. Thanksgiving in a voice of song. It's because God is going to remake the world through the deliverer. Isaiah 51, 12, I, God says, and he who comforts you. Who are you who are afraid of man who dies? Don't be afraid of man. I'm the one who comforts you. I'm the one who saves you. What did Jesus do when he shows up on the scene and he, he goes into the synagogue and he opens up the scroll and he, he turns to Isaiah 61 and he reads verses 1 through 3. The Lord has anointed me. The Spirit of God is on me and the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor and to bind up the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Salvation has come, basically. The deliverer is here, and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and grant to those who mourn in Zion gladness. This is what Jesus came to do, to save people from their sins, to alleviate the misery that sin brings. We all experience grief in life, and I think that it's very easy to think that some grief seems inconsolable, like this is just too deep of a grief. And we think about this in the Bible, even. I mean, think about things in your life or things that you hear about, and you're like, this is just too much to take. I don't know how anyone could get comforted, you know, through that. In Matthew chapter 2, right after Jesus was born, Herod is tricked by the wise men because Herod wanted to kill Christ. 
And he's tricked by the wise men who don't go back. They've been warned by God to not go back. And he's furious. And he goes and sends and kills all the children, the male children in Bethlehem, two years old and under, kind of in the whole region. They're all killed. It's called the slaughter of the innocents. And you think about that and you think that grief seems inconsolable, right? But here's what Matthew said about it. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Now you think, wait a minute, Rachel weeping for her children? Wasn't she back in Genesis? Right. So in Genesis 35, when she dies, basically, they're, they're journeying from Bethel. And there's some distance um, from, from Bethlehem. They go, they're almost to Bethlehem, and, they, and Rachel goes into labor, and she has very hard labor, and she's about to die during childbirth. And the midwife says to her, do not fear you have another son. And it says that as her soul was departing because she was dying, she called his name Ben-Ani, son of my sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, son of my right hand, son of my authority. And Matthew is seeing the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem fulfilling Jeremiah 31, 15, which speaks of Rachel weeping for her children at Ramah. What's the connection between Bethlehem and Ramah? Rachel's death in childbirth on the way to Bethlehem. Well, 1 Samuel tells us she was buried near Ramah. What's the context of Jeremiah 31, 15? Rachel wept, you know, couldn't be consoled. Now, this was poetically now, because in Jeremiah, this is far after, long after Rachel had died, and it says that Rachel wept because it was from Ramah conquering the Babylonians, deported the captive Jews from Jerusalem. And so Matthew is quoting prophecies about the Messiah and associating the events in Jesus' life with the events in Israel's history. In Genesis, Rachel dies giving birth on the way to Bethlehem. And in the midst of the suffering, the midwife is trying to comfort her with news that she has another son. Now this child is both the cause of weeping, she's dying, and future hope. Now, you fast forward to Jeremiah's day, Rachel is weeping over her children once more. So poetically, figuratively weeping, being led into captivity and exile near the very spot where she's buried. But she's comforted, again, poetically here, uh, God's people are comforted with promise that the children will return. Again, the offspring are both the cause of weeping and, and hope for the future. And then in Matthew, Rachel's weeping again, again poetically, weeping again over the slaughter of the children at Bethlehem. So you think about you know, the inconsolable pain that people go through, where there's no words of comfort, right? So in Matthew, Rachel's weeping again and over the slaughter of children at Bethlehem, and there's no words of comfort. But the next verse speaks of Herod's death and the return of Joseph and Mary and Jesus to the land of Israel. And so just as in Jeremiah's day, the situation seemed bleak, but hope of salvation lives on. So when, when the wicked King Herod orders the slaughter of innocent children to protect his rule, you, you would think of maybe Pharaoh ordering the chil killing of the Hebrew children, right? Where one child, Moses, escaped slaughter and went in to deliver his people from captivity and exile. Likewise, Jesus escapes slaughter of the innocents. 
okay, by going into exile into Egypt. So like the Jews for whom Rachel wept in Jeremiah's day, this child knows the experience of living in exile. Like the Israelites of Moses' day, he goes through his own exodus from Egypt. And so Rachel is comforted with promise that her children would be restored. Moses' birth is a sign that the Israelites' deliverance was near. And Matthew's readers are to understand the long-awaited Messiah has been born. Salvation is close at hand. The comfort that God has been promising all through the ages, all through time, because of man's sin, the comfort that he promised, the salvation that was going to come is here. This is why we say our comfort is abundant in Christ. You must know Jesus Christ. You must be saved by Christ to receive the comfort of Christ. This ties right back into 2 Corinthians 1. The Father of mercies and God of all comfort has given us the Savior of the world. Christ's comfort is abundant because his salvation is effective. When you look at Philippians chapter 2, at the very beginning, Philippians 2, verse 1, says, if there's any consolation in Christ, there's any comfort of love, if there means since, because, because there is consolation in Christ, because there is comfort of love, in the midst of your suffering, you have far greater encouragement in Christ. Jesus said this, in the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. So what a, what's about to hit you is already under Jesus' feet. And you can be comforted in that. Complete comfort for everyone in Christ. Look at verse 4. It says this. He comforts us in all of our affliction. All of it. He comforts us. That's the present tense. It's a continual action or continual outcome. It's the comfort that you receive every time trouble and afflictions arise because your soul has been comforted in Christ when you trusted in Christ for salvation. Now, some of you are listening to this sermon and you're like, but I haven't trusted in Christ for salvation. Then you, my friend, do not have Christ's comfort. If you want the comfort of Christ, and, and really this is not the reason to be saved, okay, like, hey, you want comfort? Do this, you know. You need to understand the gospel. There's a holy God who can't stand sin in his presence. And, and mankind has sinned and spurned God and gone away from him from the garden onward. And we're, we're born dead in Adam. We're born dead in our sins. And we are only bound to push against God and to be his enemies. But God sent God the Son. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus Christ, in his perfect time to die for sins, to shed his precious blood in the place of lost sinners needing comfort, needing forgiveness, needing new life. Christ is the only Savior. He's the only one that can give true comfort. And so you must come to Christ. You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. You must turn from your sins and turn to Christ. And you will have the comfort of Christ. You notice that verse 4 says he comforts us in all of our affliction. All of our affliction. What is affliction? And we started by saying, look, we all need comfort because we're afflicted. Affliction here literally means crushing pressure. And you hear stories of someone like falling under a car and it's the crushing pressure and they just are either they, they die or, some, or they get some supernatural strength to push the car off of them or someone comes up and helps them. But this crushing pressure this 
this unbearable weight. This verse is telling us that God comforts you when you are crushed under a load and a weight of sin, and then he continues you on in any affliction, any that you actually encounter in life, any potential situation that might occur, no matter what confronts you, God's going to comfort you. And, and you'll notice there's no waiting list for this. You don't need a ticket for it. You don't need, you know, there's churches that are opening up back east this week because their states are allowing that. And you need tickets for church. And I was reading about one friend of mine whose who's church ran out of tickets and not enough people, you know, they, people couldn't come because they didn't have enough seats. There's no wait list. You know, you go to a restaurant sometimes. Remember when we used to go to restaurants and sit down in, 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 at, around the tables and what have you? It's coming back soon, okay? It's coming back soon. But when you do that, sometimes it's like, well, there's a wait list. You know, and then some people, you know, the locals get brought in, but you're like, well, you're on the wait list. There's no wait list for Christ's comfort when you are in Christ, that every believer has Christ's comfort, full and assured, without partiality and without qualification, right? There's no pecking order. It's not like, well, only the A-plus students get the comfort. It's not, oh, only the people that read their Bible this week get the comfort, or only the people that prayed for two hours get the comfort, or only people that, that shared the gospel with 15 people this week get the comfort. That's not how God works. Comfort in Christ goes to everyone in Christ without limitation, no waiting list, without qualification, without partiality. So it is absolutely right and, and applicable for Paul to praise God for comfort. In fact, look at this passage. He's starting 2 Corinthians this way. He's praising God for comfort. And then go to verse 11. You must also help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted through the prayers of many. Why are they praying? Go back through a few verses. Look at verse 8. We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction. Well, comfort in affliction. The affliction we experienced in Asia. We were so utterly burdened. There's a burden beyond our strength, and we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely on our, not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will Deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. So you must help us by prayer. He's talking about the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. He's talking about the abundant comfort in Christ. He's highlighting God's mercy. He's highlighting God's comfort. Think of Psalm 23, verse 4. Your rod and your staff... They comfort me. Psalm 71, verse 21, you will comfort me again. There's hope. Paul, at the very end of 2 Corinthians, chapter 13, verse 11, he says, finally, brethren, be, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of good cheer. Be encouraged. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of peace and love will be with you. Be of good comfort. You have comfort in Christ. So the, the fact is, true comfort is found in Christ. That has to be settled in your mind. You have to know it for sure because the Bible tells us for sure. Now, 
Let's look at the purpose of Christ's abundant comfort. Still in verse 4, you're comforted in Christ to comfort others. The reason Christ comforts you is for you to share that comfort with other people. So it says in verse 4, so that, it's the reason, it's the purpose, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So you're comforted to be able to comfort. The purpose is for you as a believer to be comforters to others. This is where, you know, people talk about being the hands and feet of Jesus. This is probably the best verse to use for that. Being the hands and feet of Jesus. You want to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Comfort others in affliction. Galatians 6 tells us, bear one another's burdens. We can't always be strong. We can't, we can't always you know, do superhuman things, right? But, but here's the deal. We're often weak, but we can carry each other in Christ's strength. It's our obedient obligation. You think of Job's friends, sorry comforters. Think of what Paul is going to say here in 2 Corinthians 2 about forgiving and comforting the one who had sinned but now has been repented. Verse 7 of chapter 2, just comfort and forgive him so he's not overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. He says in chapter 7 of 2 Corinthians, we were comforted by your comfort. He says elsewhere, Colossians, he says, comfort your hearts. You, you were a comfort to me. Uh, I want to comfort you concerning your faith. First Thessalonians, he says that. And, and he even tells the Thessalonians, you need to encourage the faint-hearted and comfort the weak. Be patient with them all. Comfort them. When he talks about the second coming of Christ in, in chapter 4, he's saying, look, I want you to know all about this. Now comfort one another with these words. Be like Barnabas, the son of encouragement, just going around comforting everyone in Christ, reminding them of the gospel truth. Here's what the world's going to tell you. The world's going to tell you to self-soothe. The world's going to tell you to take care of yourself. The world's going to say, just do what's best for you. Forget about everyone else. It's a life in the pit of hell. What did David do when there was no one to comfort him? He encouraged himself in the Lord. It's interesting that Galatians 2, in verse 2 and in verse 5, verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens, right? Fulfill the law of Christ. Well, then it says, each one shall bear his own load. Yeah, do your normal cargo in life, but the overload must be carried by others. Don't just self-soothe. Don't just take care of yourself. Don't just do what's right for you. Some of you need to change directions today, right? You feel like, well, life's pulling me down. I just have to take care of myself. Well, allow God's word to, to lift you up so that you can lift others up. You would know the comfort of Christ as you serve his purposes and serve the Lord with gladness, Psalm 100, verse 2. You might have to step out of your comfort zone today, though, and into Christ's zone of comfort where you entrust your heart and your life to another and share burdens and your story and carry burdens. Be honest with other believers about where you're at. What are we doing in Christ? We're always constantly adjusting and trusting, are we not? And be patient as you comfort others because everyone is in process. But if you want more comfort and joy in your life, you need to think less of yourself and more how to serve others. 
The fact is, true comfort is found in Christ, and the purpose of that comfort is for you to comfort others. Now, let's look at the supply of Christ's abundant comfort. Now, we'll be in verse 5. Christ's comfort is abundant. There's the supply. Now, you know, we can only give so much, and then we're empty. Like, I can give you what I have in my bank account, but then it will be empty. But we are drawing in Christ from a bottomless well, okay? There's a limitless supply. It says in verse 5, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So Paul had corrected the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians. He had convicted them. But in 2 Corinthians, he says, I want to strengthen you as I have been strengthened. The comfort we have in Christ is abundant. It's more than enough. It's overflowing. It's abounding. It's in abundance. It's surpassing. There's a surplus. It never runs out. The stock won't run low. It's never out of service. It's never out of order like that pump at the gas station every once in a while. There's a never-ending supply. Christ's abundant comfort never runs out. Christ's comfort for you isn't fickle. It's not only for the perfect. It's for the bruised and the broken. That's all of us. Sometimes people will say, you know, God seems absent, though. I don't feel any comfort. He, he seems absent. Well, I want you to know God is always present. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Jesus saying, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He promised to be with his people always. So when you say God feels distant, you moved. You know, God's not a genie in a bottle that you just like, okay, I want to rub the genie to get what I want right now. Rub the bottle, excuse me, get the genie to come out. You know what I'm talking about. He's the God of the universe. He has come near to us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So when your sufferings multiply, God's comfort multiplies. See, more suffering equals more comfort equals greater ability to help other people. More suffering equals more comfort equals greater ability to help others. Think about it. The sufferings of Christ are yours in abundance. That's all the suffering that one in Christ who is serving Christ will experience. You're going to have a lot of suffering in life. Welcome to the club, right? But the more you endure righteous suffering, the more your comfort and reward in Christ. Paul knew firsthand that it was going to feel like suffering was never ending. And that he was telling them all genuine believers should expect the same. Your, your, your sufferings are abundant. They're never ending. But your comfort is never ending. Christ comforts abundantly and fully. This has been true throughout the ages. From Adam and Eve onward, God has been comforting his burdened people, his people burdened by sin forever. God's giving glimmers of hope from Eden onward. In Genesis chapter 3, here's the glimmer of hope. He shall bruise your head. He's saying it to Satan. He's going to get crushed. Jesus, the serpent crusher, is going to come. How about Noah? When, when evil permeated the earth and God was going to destroy the world, in Genesis 6.18, God says to Noah, I'm going to establish my covenant with you. Comfort. Abraham, after he sins and goes down to Egypt, he trusts in man. He has, 
you know, strife with Lot. What does God do? Genesis 13, he says, verse 14, I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth. Walk through the land, the length and the breadth of the land. I'm going to give it to you. What about Sarah after she laughs at God's promise? Genesis 18, verse 14. What does God do? Does he say, Sarah, you know, you, I can't believe you keep doing this. No, he comforts her. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Isaac, after his father Abraham dies, God comes to him. Genesis 26, 2 through 5, he says, don't go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I will tell you. Sojourn in this land. I will be with you. I will bless you. In your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Same promise that Abraham got. Then Jacob. Jacob feels like a failure. Genesis 35. All sorts of things are happening in his family that are not good. And he, go, he wants to go to Bethel. And he wants to make an altar to God, to worship God. Because he says this, God answers me in the day of my distress. He has been with me wherever I go. And he gets an answer from God in Genesis 35, 11 and 12. I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A company of nations will come from you. Kings from your own body. The land that I gave Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and your offspring after you. How about Joseph's brothers? The ones who, with treachery, had lied to their father and said their, their brother was dead, had, had left him for dead, but it was not for God's providential orchestration. He would have been dead. But after their treachery, they receive God's word through the one they wanted to kill. Genesis 50, 19 and, 20, and 21. Joseph says to them, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? You meant evil against me. God meant it for good. Do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. See, when you come to faith in Christ, the one that you fought against is faithful to comfort your soul. Again and again and again. By the way, these examples are just from Genesis. You have assurance after assurance, comfort after comfort. You got Joshua succeeding Moses in Joshua 1. And God says, just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Comfort of God in his promises. David, King David has his son Absalom trying to kill him. And he rests in the Lord's. Psalm 62, my soul finds rest in God alone. He refuses false comforts. He doesn't go to the military for comfort or the government for comfort or riches for comfort or resources or his own mind. He pours out his heart to God in prayer and receives assurance. You get into the New Testament and you just, let me just give you two examples. Mary. Mary in Luke chapter 1. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Luke 1, she's getting the message from from God, the angel of God is coming and saying, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You're going to conceive in your womb and bear a son. You'll call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. For nothing will be impossible with God. What sweet comfort for her soul in that moment. And then Simeon in Luke chapter 2, verse 25 and 26. It says that he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It says he was looking for the consolation of Israel. 
peace. He's looking for peace. He's looking for comfort. He's looking for Jesus. That phrase, looking for the consolation of Israel, throws you right back into the Old Testament because the consolation of Israel is the promised Messiah. Saying the consolation of Israel is equivalent to saying, I'm waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Well, the Messiah has come. What do you need to do today? Look to Christ. Look to the Messiah. Look to the one who gives you comfort when you're afraid, when your spouse dies, when your child dies. I just grieve. How many moms hold babies in their hearts, not in their arms? Bereaved moms. You need to look to Christ who comforts you when your marriage isn't right, when you lose your job, when you're anxious. Isaiah 41, 10, do not fear, God says, I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I'm your God. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's going to uphold you in Christ, believer. When you're burdened by your sins, you know you need to confess them to God. When you're tempted, when you're downcast, when you're humbled by life, when the hits just keep coming, the Lord in his providence is using everything in your life to provide for you. Everything. You, you look back. Can you, can you look back in your life and see God's fingerprints all over everything? All over every detail of your life with the most painful thing that's ever happened to you? And you can see Christ's abundant comfort even through that, even out of that? That you can see that the Lord has your steps ordered that your life is in his sovereign hands, that even if the valley is deep for you today, the great shepherd is here. I love what Job said in Job 1.10. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? Think of all the troubles. Think of all the afflictions that are abundant. God has you. God has your soul in Christ. God is comforting you in Christ. When you're longing to be with the people of God, when you're longing to see people saved, in the midst of this coronavirus, you know, how can you glorify God on Mother's Day 2020? In the midst of COVID-19, in the midst of a pandemic, let me just say, just do what you can to honor moms in your life with words of comfort. In times of crisis, God comforts and reassures his people. God doesn't pile on you. God doesn't say, well, you're on your own to work it out. Come back when you figure it out. And you think about children running to their mom. You know, every child wants to be noticed by their mom, right? And moms are so good at it, noticing kids. Dads, we're not so good at it. I remember when I was, when I was younger, and, and Michael, our son, was, was very young, and he would try to get my attention, and he finally would just grab my face and just pull it towards him so I'd look him in the eye. You know, moms, Angela never did that. She was looking all the time and helping. But like when a child lifts up a picture and says, mommy, mommy, look, look what I drew. The, the child is just saying, look at me, acknowledge me. You know, I'm, I'm significant, right? Look at me, mom, acknowledge me, notice me. How many people feel invisible in life? Some of you moms, you feel invisible in life. You're like, people just need me for what I can give them. You feel unnoticed, you feel unacknowledged. You, this is the motive for us to comfort the people in our life with the comfort that we have in Christ. 
Think about it. Find a way to comfort your mom today or comfort a mom in your life or comfort someone you know in your life. Think about your mom for a minute. Your mom carried you. Your mom birthed you. Your mom chose to adopt you. Your mom fed you. Your mom changed you. Your mom bathed you, took care of your needs when you couldn't voice them. Moms want to be noticed for the people they are rather than just the services they render. Mom the clock. Hey, mom, what time is it? Mom the satellite guide. Where are we, mom? Mom the weather report, you know. Mom the impersonal meter of all the needs. No. Most personal, kind, encouraging thing you can do for someone today is notice them. You can't comfort someone if you don't notice them. You got to acknowledge them. Your mom needs to be acknowledged. Acknowledge your mom. Don't just use her to get things. Acknowledge who she is. Acknowledge the significant person she is. Not just for what she does for you. Yeah, that's part of it. Say thank you. But who she is in and of herself. Because when God comforts you in Christ, he's not looking at what you're bringing to the table. You brought your sin, the great exchange. You got Christ's righteousness. And nobody wants to be treated like a commodity, to be sought out just for what they can do, to just be a specialist or an expert. How about being a friend? How about you've got a friend in me that sticks closer than a brother, a friend that comes alongside and speaks to your heart? Just acknowledge the people in your life today for who they are, not merely what they do. Because God knows you as you are. And he loves you. Comforts you perfectly. He comforts you perfectly. Acknowledge him for who he is, not just for what he does. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that there's always mercy in Christ, always comfort. And I know, Lord, what we need most today. I know it. I'm, I'm sure of it. You've told us in your word, the thing we need most today is to be reminded of your many consolations, of your many comforts, how you say, don't let your heart be troubled, how, how, how your comfort makes us long for heaven. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I come again, I will bring you to be with me where I am. One day we'll have no more tears or sadness or reason to be comforted. All sin will be removed. The curse will fully and finally be gone. And we'll have pure joy in your presence forever. But Lord, we know we're living right now. So until then, until then, Lord, comfort your people with your powerful presence. Better yet, I'm going to pray it this way. Lord, thank you. Thank you for comforting your people with your powerful presence. Thank you that you say I am always with you, that I will help you, that I will strengthen you, that I will uphold you. Thank you, Lord, for all the conduits of comfort you've given us in your word and in prayer and in fellowship with others and even to worship you and sing and serve your purposes. Thank you, Lord, that your abundant comfort in Christ makes ministry merciful and you make serving satisfying. You make us love life because we love you because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord. May May our looking to you reveal that we find our comfort in you, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.